Hey, welcome to the Harry Man Show number 34. I have a special guest today that, you know, someone I watched in the 90s, early 2000s, and the good old MTV days, I air drummed to him, had a lot of respect for him. Ray Eichelin, he's playing in bands like Everclear, and uh, currently playing in a band called Storm Large. How you doing, Greg? Is this the Harry Man? <laughs> yeah, it is. Is this the Harry Man? Okay. And apparently this is a drum podcast. I thought this was like a support group or something. Oh, no, Harry no. Men, so. no, 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 just a drum show for now. And I have some... Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I guess you could be both. I guess you could be a drummer and a hairy man. Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah perfect. Just... <laughs> Why are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm, I'm really good, actually. I'm, I'm just uh, waiting for this year to be over, and um, just you know, I, I'm just, uh, I got a lot of things going on, but, um, but you know, it's, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> As we are, this, this year has felt like about four years put together, but. <laughs> yeah. what, what, wait what was that i, I said this year part. has felt like four years put together so yeah i understand that yeah you know there's there's um there's a sort of hunker down mentality so it's it's uh actually you know it's funny and just to jump into it real quick i've just come to the realization this week that a lot of the newer music that i'm doing right now and i write constantly so that doesn't mean any of it ever comes out or anything mm-hmm. but i've noticed that a lot of the stuff I'm working on, actually I'm working on a song right now, but it's, um, uh, if there's a theme in the last month of music that I've been writing is that it's, it's, uh, rhythmical, but it's repetition. It's mm. sort of, uh, uh, monotonous repetition. Nice. And I think subconsciously that's just sort of because of this year, you know, where, where everything seems to just repeat and repeat and repeat. And, um, I will tell you that I'm wearing shoes and <laughs> and I'm not wearing sweats, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm wearing kind of just comfortable grubby clothes. But my <laughs> wife should, my wife says, you know, some days you should try to look better. But I was like, why? I don't leave the, I don't leave the house. So yeah. anyway, yeah. So this year's this year's crazy. Let's let's try to move on into the next one and um, oh, yeah, absolutely, I agree. See there. where that see where that, where that takes us. Well, I want to take you back a little bit before this year. Um, did you grow up in Virginia or Minnesota there? Well, I was actually a Navy brat. My dad was a was a fighter pilot in the Navy, and oh. so um, we we I kind of moved around a bunch. Um, when he was when he was actively flying, we were we lived in the out in the deserts of California where the air bases were. Oh, okay. um, but at some point, he uh, he got offered a desk job, which he didn't want to take because he didn't get in for a desk job. But it was in London. Huh. And so when I when I was eight years old, we moved to London, and so that's where I actually started. I won't say play the drums, but I started to get interested in the drums because I saw um, this was 1978, but in 1981, and that's when Led Adam Zeppelin Le- was kind of at the prime, right? Or, or a little off there. I think Led Zeppelin. Was- oh no! Well, the funny thing about Zeppelin, you know that. It's weird it's because at the age of eight, we moved to England. I missed sort of all of the Americanized music huh. uh, that, that people started to listen to. So um, the first music I really started to listen to was when I was in England. And so I started to play drums because of Adam and the Ants. I saw them on British TV with two drummers and I was hooked. Huh. But the first music I grew up listening to were bands like The Jam, The English Beat, The Specials, all the stuff that was going on in England. I was a huge ABBA fan, too, um, Adam and the Ants. But that was all what was being played at Boomtown Rats. It was all being played on um, British radio. So, you know, the ages of 10 to 12 is when kids really start listening to music, you know. And so yeah. we came back from England in 1982, and I was... You know, everyone was listening to like Van Halen and ACDC <laughs> and Led Zeppelin and all that. And I, and they just had never been on my radar because I'd been listening. I was overseas listening to these other things. So, um, that's kind of weird to think I, to this, to, Yeah. To this day, I can appreciate like ACDC and Van Halen and all that stuff, but it was, it's never been my jam. It's never been what I was interested in initially in that initial sort of exciting formative phase of music. I was, I was listening to um, other things. So, yeah. So then from there, we moved back. We, we, when we left England in 82, we moved to Virginia. And we were there for six years, which is the longest we'd ever lived anywhere. So, and that's when I went 
through high school and stuff and started playing music and getting bands together and stuff. So I did, I would say I grew up in England, but really I got interested in music earlier when, when we first moved to England. Nice. And then you said you lived in the desert part of California. What part was that? Uh, Lemoore, Lemoore, California, oh, I, near I, Fresno. I, I grew up pretty close to there as well, too. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Okay, because most of the time I got to explain it to people. But, uh, <laughs> yes, you know, I, I knew it was near Fresno because Fresno is the sort of the biggest town, uh-huh. like the biggest, you know, city, I guess, or town, small, big town. So anytime we wanted to go into town, we went to Fresno, yeah, which I grew, wasn't, I grew up in the wasn't a real pretty, pretty thing to see in the 70s. I don't know, maybe... No, it's still kind of rough. Better now. Okay. All right. right, But sorry, I was just checking because I I had a feeling you were in the same area when you said desert in California. But uh, going forward, um, now when you jump back to the American culture in high school, were you diving into like Van Halen and over the type of bands you were playing with? Or was it kind of like you still have those British roots in you? You know, I tried because, you know, at the age of 12, peer pressure is a big deal. You know, I was trying to like, I probably had a, I had, scorpions record you know of course love the first thing or whatever mm-hmm. um and you know i tried a lot of my friends were into motley Crue and stuff so i would sort of dilly dally but they, they were never my jam mm-hmm. they were just never it was, um it just yeah it just wasn't my thing and then by the time you know in the mid 80s at least in virginia on the east coast you know um there was you know, bands like R.E.M. and, and Less Active and, and stuff that, that I was more interested in mm-hmm. than were American bands, but they weren't, you know, Van Halen stuff. And so uh, yeah. I, I sort of went more, whatever we called it, than underground or progressive or whatever. I don't know. It wasn't alternative. Non-mainstream. Much. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, uh, I don't know. That's what I got into, all those kind of bands. And continued to listen to a lot of the English bands like Echo and the Bunny Man and stuff like that that was coming over in the 80s. And then um, um, I may be jumping ahead here, but did you start singing and playing guitar around that time, or was that something that came later? No, I came much later. I was just focused on the drums. I was focused on the drums, but one of the things, um, <clears throat> probably, probably one of the top three influencers on me as a drummer was was Stuart Copeland from The Police. Like The Police were my American stadium band. And I, you I, can, know, I like, can hear that in your fills too a lot. To be honest with you, yeah. I mean, the thing is that nobody can, I, I tuned, you know, in my basement in Virginia, I had, um, and it's funny, someone just sent me a text that said, apparently I bought your house you grew up in in England and I was, or not in England, in Virginia. And I was a huge fan. And I go, oh yeah, well down in the basement in the one corner is where I sat for hours <laughs> trying to figure out how to play. <laughs> I mean, I was, a, I was a mimic of Stuart Copeland. I had my snare cranks. I was playing traditional grip, you know, but the thing about Stuart Copeland is, is it's the Stuart Copeland sound doesn't translate to any other music other than the police you can't yeah, you know it's, it's, it's just it's, it's, reggae it's a slap singular sound thing too, yeah so uh but anyway the thing that i loved about Stuart Copeland, other than that was that um uh he started to branch out and started to do other things he recorded a, a record called uh in the early days of the police called clark kent which was him playing all the instruments and then he started to break out and started to do Movie like soundtracks yeah yeah and stuff and so it was sort of this idea of, well, wait, I can be more than just a drummer. I didn't know how, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know anything about music. In the, and and I, to this day, I still don't. But I just figured, um, you know, and in the interviews I saw with him, he pled his ignorance on, on music, too. So I was just like, well, okay, <laughs> maybe I can do that. So that planted a seed that 15 years later allowed me to pick up a guitar and start doing other things. But Initially, on high school, I was just focused on being the best drummer I could. Gotcha. You know, be. And uh, uh, and when I watch you play, you know, um, you, you kind of you had the big toms, and you know, you, you're a hard hitter. Was that necessarily from any other drummers you're watching, or that you just wanted that punk rock feel, and everything? Well, there was a thing called the '90s where everybody <laughs> was trying to be as big as they could be. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you if you draw, there's. I have very little reference or references. I have very little influences directly with drums. And the first one's to the Copeland. Um, and then I would say you draw that line to Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. They nice. were huge for me. Nice. Um, and then around the same time, you know, then Nirvana explodes onto the scene. Um, 
with Dave Grohl. Now, Nirvana had been, you know, growing up in Portland. They were, you know, a local band from Seattle, but they always had different drummers. But one, Dave Grohl was in that position. I mean, the dude was a mother. So it was just like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and it was loud, big rock and roll, you know. You weren't going to be playing on a jazz kit. Uh, you were going to be trying to slam it. And the thing about well, at least for me, every kind of music, it, it wasn't complicated on drum stuff. It was like, well, I'm just going to lay into it and make it fun for me, which uh-huh. was to sort of hit, hit as hard as, you know, as I could and, and, and just have a good time with it. Um, but it was the nineties. Everyone was doing that, you know, looking back on it now, um, that's what everyone was doing. And then, and then are, ultimately, are still it, doing it. <laughs> well, no, and, and that's great. I mean, there's, there's a certain fun and, and intensity to that. But I mean, in terms of sound, it's almost better to not hit them as hard because you're not compressing them when you hit them. And, you oh, know, yeah. if everything's mic, you can just turn the mics up. It doesn't have to, you don't have to generate the volume. But, you know, you're young. You're doing stupid stuff. You're just, <laughs> you're just you know, you're sweating and you're screaming and you're banging drums and it's, yeah. it's all good. And, and my older age now, that's why, the, and I will probably get to it, but the Storm Logic gig is perfect for me because um, it's not that. It's being quiet and just supporting a vocalist. So yeah. um, at the end of the night, I'm not drenched in sweat. I've, I've never even perspired at all. And it's all about trying to play simple and just get behind and support the singer. But the other thing that was, that, um, so it was Stuart Copeland, Stephen Perkins, and then I would say Dave Grohl, but uh, not from a Nirvana perspective. Songwriting. Specifically. But the fact that he suddenly was like, hey man, I can do something else too. Yeah. So once the Foo Fighters came out, I was like, whoa, okay, all right. So <laughs> a lot of my drummers are guys that actually stepped out from behind the drums and stepped to the front of the stage. And, and I was definitely influenced by that with the idea that it was possible nice. to do that. And then um, um, after leaving Virginia, did you uh, go to Seattle and that's how you hooked up with Everclear? Uh, how did that come about? Well, actually, Everclear was from Portland, Oregon. Oh, really? That's the, yeah, my uh, my dad retired in uh, the Navy in Virginia, and um, my family, my extended family, was always from the Pacific Northwest. So we moved back to oh, Portland. Oh, I, I apologize and, for that. For some reason, Seattle popped in my head. No, that's most people think that because we sort of we didn't come out of the Seattle scene, but you know, it was Pacific Northwest. Oh, okay, but Port, but but everything was from Portland, Oregon, and um, so yeah, so we I moved back there with my family and. Um, and I graduated high school, but I didn't get into any colleges I applied for. So I just kind of came back and fussed around for a couple of years. And yeah. So. Now, were you responding to an ad or was it just a word of mouth for that, that project? How I got into the band. It's, yeah. it's actually, it's a great story, but it's kind of, you almost need like cross reference charts and all this stuff to tell it. Cause it's kind of, it's a little to, bit crazy. You don't have to judge. Just tell what you're comfortable with. Well, yeah, the problem is you can't really, I, I, I'm, I've always tried to come up with a simpler way to tell it, but there's no real way to do that, but, but uh. it's a great story. So, and it's a story of, it's a story of being literally in the right place at the right time. Awesome. It's, it's, so well, let's, let's begin. Get, get a number, <laughs> get a number two pencil. And let's begin. Um, what happened was that I actually, the two, what, in the four years in Portland before I joined Everclear, I'd start I'd started a band actually in Eugene when when I ended up going to college in Eugene, and we the band was called Jolly Mon, and we'd become kind of we'd become a pretty big band. We were actually bigger in the Northwest than Everclear was, but Everclear was touring nationally. We were just staying around in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So anyway, I quit that band and and was sort of subbing in a bunch of bands and ended up subbing in this band called Nero's Rome. And they were kind of a Portland band too, um, but I but they weren't. I, w- I didn't want to join them permanently. And it turns out my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, was going to school at U of O, and she happened to live right next door to my best friend, who is still my best friend now. And I went down there one weekend. My Nero's Rome was going to play Saturday night, and I called my friend, my girlfriend, out, and she's like, "Well, why don't you just come down Friday?" And I came down Friday, but she caught the and so um and then um so my best friend next door said well everclear's playing tonight 
but there's a stand K-Pants that's opening for them, and they, they're going to need a drummer, and they're really cool, so I think you should check them out. So he and I went, and that night, K-Pants opened for Everclear, which was the last night of their, they had just toured across from the West Coast to the East Coast and then back again, and this is in Eugene, Oregon. So this was the last show of their tour. Um, it turns out that the sound guy that had been on tour with them, I knew, and he was sticking around to mix Nero's room the next night in the same venue. Uh-huh. And he took me aside and he said, Everclear's <clears throat> about to get signed because they had been courted by labels in New York when they played in New York. Uh-huh. And he said, they're going to be getting rid of their drummer. Oh, wow. And I was like, great, give me Art's telephone number. <laughs> and he was, and he was a little, he goes, I can't, I, Art owes me money and I don't want to help him out or something. I don't, I don't remember what the uh, actual reason was, but he was like, I'm not, I'm not going to help Art. So you're going to, I'm going to tell you all this, but I'm not going to give you his number. So, um, what I didn't know that night was that they had already on their way back had decided they were going to get rid of their drummer and, um, had called somebody in Seattle to come down to check them out. So in the in the club that night in Eugene, Oregon, was the guy that they figured on replacing their drummer with. Okay. Um, I was there trying to get the K-Pamp gig on drums because <laughs> I really liked that band K-Pamp. So I was trying to steal the drumming gig from that band. Uh-huh. I don't actually it wasn't stealing. I think the drummer was leaving, but I was trying to get the, the gig for K-Pamp. Mm-hmm. But so what happened then is they Everclear played the show. It was a great show. K-Pants were great too. And they drove home and they told that guy to learn their songs. Uh, they wanted, or the next day they jammed with him unbeknownst to their drummer, but he didn't know any of their songs. So he, so he just said, here's our record. Go learn it. Come back in a week or two weeks or whatever it was. So this guy went back to Seattle. In the meantime, I played that show with Nero's Rome. And I remember that the woman that booked Nero's Rome lived next door to Art. So this is non, you know, you got to remember kids, this is pre-cell phone, pre-internet, pre-any of that stuff. Yeah. If you didn't have someone's cell phone number, you couldn't get in contact with anybody. Oh yeah. And they'd be lucky if they picked up. Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. They had to actually be there when the phone rang. Yeah. And, and a lot of musicians in those days didn't even have answering machines because they were thousand dollars. I mean, it was expensive. Oh, so anyway. that's crazy. to phantom though. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but I knew that she, I, she had mentioned once that, oh, I live next door to Art Sinister. So I called her up and said, hey, I had a reason to call her. I was like, what's the deal? Where's the next Nero's Rome gig? What's our schedule look like? And she gave them to me. And then I said, oh, by the way, don't you live next door to Art? And she goes, yeah. And I go, you got his number? She goes, yeah. And she gave it to me. So it took me, I was, I've never been, I've always been this guy not real self-confident so it took me a couple of days just to work up the nerve to call him oh, wow but what about you know that they needed to jump but what did what i didn't know is the day i chose to call him up was the day they were going to rehearse with the seattle drummer mm-hmm. and when he was packing his drums up out of a second floor from outdoor drum studio or whatever in the rain because it was Seattle, he carrying his bass drum slipped and fell down two stairs and broke his ribs and broke some ribs and Wow. When he was loading he was loading his drums to drive down to the audition. Wow, that's crazy. So he never shows up to the audition and Art and Craig are sitting there like, What's the deal, man? Why isn't this guy here? Again, no cell phones, no way of like, oh just call him like Yeah. You know. And um why they were and then he calls from the emergency room and says, I'm sorry, guys, you know, like an hour or two later, I'm sorry, I, my wrist is broken, my ribs are cracked or whatever. Wow. And Everclear had a tour that started in like nine days. Jesus. And they didn't want to tour with their old drummers. This new guy wasn't going to work out. And it was at that moment that I called Art's number and said, you don't know me, but I'm a drummer and I hear you're looking for a drummer. And he goes, great, learn four songs and meet us tomorrow. Oh, wow. And, and the funny thing was, is, again, this is pre-iTunes, pre-any of YouTube, pre-any of this stuff. Just loud I had to drive down. I, <laughs> I didn't have their record. I didn't have their record. So I had to drive down. There was a store in Portland called Locals Only that only sold local bands. Uh-huh. And it, I had to run down there and pick up the CD 
and learned four songs and I showed up the next day and I played it for them and they offered me the gig. Oh, <laughs> I mean, wow. that's like, a, it was only, it like, was the only because the other guy had fallen down the stairs and it was only because they were leaving on tour in nine days. And it was only because I was able to learn four songs. Uh, and the up stars and, lined and up perfectly it. for you on that for a reason, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it could have gone a million different other ways and it didn't. It just happened to go that way. Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's actually the way things normally work when they're meant to be. And that's not too sentimental, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so Everclear had been together for two years before that. The thing that I liked about them was that, you know, they had already been state toured nationally from the get-go. Art knew that you had to go national. And every other band that I'd played in in, in the Northwest was sort of like, well, we're just going to become really big in the Northwest and then we'll we'll go places. Yeah. But there was a, there was a, you know a real um, push from art that you know we got to go everywhere and we got to sleep on floors and we got to do that. Um, the thing that worked out really well for me is that I happened to join nine days before they signed their record deal. So oh wow, that's another thing. Yeah, so um, I had paid my dues with all my other bands, but by the time I was with Everclear, and you know. We started out sharing beds and stuff, and then we'd share rooms, and then eventually we got our own room, which was a really big day, I can tell you. Like, <laughs> once you got your own room, you didn't have to listen to Craig snore or whatever. <laughs> it, was, it was a big day. But, um, but uh, you know, they had already been really hitting it hard for two years before I joined, and then uh, Capital signed us, and, we, and from that moment on, we were gone like 10 months out of the year. 250 shows a year or something. I don't know. So, what was the duration of time before you guys started kind of seeing that mainstream of success? Was it a couple of years or hitting the road? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, well, what what happened was is they had released their own local uh, release called World of Noise. Uh-huh. And when we signed with Capital, because we didn't have a new record yet, Capital, uh, bought the rights to that record for like seven years. So we went out to support that record mm-hmm. while Art was writing songs for what became Sparkle and Fade. Uh-huh. Um, so it was, I joined in like the summer, late uh, summer of 94. Uh-huh. And um, I don't think we started recording Sparkle and Fade until like a year later, like the spring of 95. Uh-huh. And then Sparkle and Fade came out in that fall. So, we were touring and doing, I was with them a year before Sparkle and Fade came out, which is, you know, once Santa Monica came out, that's when things sort of exploded. But, now, but yeah, about a year and a half. Now I want to like bring up something. Um, you know, was it a surreal feeling that, you know, see that happen? Because a lot of people just sit there and fantasize and dream about that. Was it like a huge feeling or was it like an overwhelming feeling to actually see that happen? You know, it's kind of crazy because in some ways it is. I mean, that's the dream. You're just pushing, pushing, pushing for that. But because we were working so hard for it, it was a real, there was a real belief of like, come on, we just got to convince everyone. We got to just, you know, show them that we're good and the best. And, you know, and, but it was baby steps too. It wasn't like, um, it wasn't like getting signed and then suddenly we were playing arenas or theaters. It's probably a healthy process. We got signed. We got signed. Still jumped into a van, and still were playing bars for the first eight months, huh. um, driving ourselves. Uh, you know, doing that stuff. And so each time you came through town, it was baby steps. So it's it, it wasn't as gradual as a thing as most people think because you'd roll through Cleveland and you'd play, you know, a bar, and the next time you played it, you'd have more people. And next time you played, it'd be sold out. And then the next time you'd move into a bigger club or a small theater. And, you know, and so <clears throat> by the time you get where it hits, there is a certain match to gas yeah. kind of explosion, but it, it doesn't, it's, it's, I don't know. It didn't feel like that big. It didn't feel like that big of a change. It like just it sounds like sort of, you kind of grew with it. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. And from, and from that point, then you just start getting a lot of people coming to your shows and that that's yeah. the difference. But the work, the work and the travel and everything else stays the same. So, um, <laughs> so in your travels, yeah, was, was there any memorable like countries or venues that you, you kind of like remembered like vividly? It's weird because 
you do it so much that there's so many memories, but they're like classes and, you know, people come up to me and say, I saw you in Nebraska or whatever. And, and it's, boy, it's really tough sometimes. Yeah. To yeah it's just like going to work. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's weird. Um, I, I now am I, I, I attribute it to this, but I have sort of motion sickness now and later. Mm-hmm. Not, I think it's tied into being constantly in motion for 10 years yeah. of jumping on planes up and down, jumping into a van, jumping into a radio promoter's car, being driven here, being on a bus, driving overnight while you sleep. So you're in motion while you sleep. Uh-huh. Um, I think it affected me physically in that way. But um, I mean, there's lots of memories. There's lots of good times. There's a lot of bad times too. But I, for me, what was really exciting is when we went to England because that was the first time I'd been back since I lived there. Oh, nice. That was, that was pretty cool. The, the bummer thing about that was that we just happened to be hitting England literally as Britpop became the biggest thing in the world. So no one wanted, and it was a celebration of Englishness and English <laughs> fans. And they didn't want to know anything about a three-piece band from the Northwest. You're, um, you're talking like Spice <laughs> Girls, like kind of there is what you're saying? Well, the Spice Girls was the popular side of it, but bands like uh, Oasis and Blur, oh, and, gotcha. and, uh, you know, um, well, what was the other one? Uh, I, I I have a feel for what you're saying. Though. I remember that kind of BH1 style. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing was, the thing was, is that England had a huge music revival in the '80s, right? It was uh-huh. kind of the hot thing, right? you know. Um, but then in the early '90s late 80s early 90s it kind of fell apart and they kind of they got on to you know nirvana was huge there like nirvana is just massive and so they kind of were all tired out from the grunge thing or whatever with nirvana um after the early to mid 90s and then Britpop happened and it was a real celebration of we can be english again and sing about english things and for me i loved it because having grown up there, I don't know. I felt a kinship with it. Maybe I understood it better, but, um, uh, you know, they just, they didn't, they didn't want to know about American rock bands or rock bands in general. And so because of that, we were lumped into, you know, we played like Castle Donington with like Kiss and Ozzy. We were, we were a rock band you know, to them, you know, big, we played Castle Donington and, yeah, like rock. And we were in Kerrang over there and we were in all these like heavy, me- huh. heavy metal magazines and stuff because they didn't, there wasn't a place to put us because the, the mainstream music ma- magazines were all about blur and Oasis and that's crazy. Think about that. Elastica. Now, and so I, I love to go back there to tour and it was great, but, but we never were able to get to a level really of success there that, that we did to other places because it was so British centric at that time. But when we went to Australia, it was, we were huge in Australia. So, huh. um, because they like American rock bands in Australia. It's crazy. It's just so, a paradigm shift at all different times. It's weird. It, yeah. It moves constantly. And so, you know, if you're trying to start a band and trying to, tie into the latest sound or you know whatever tip man it's, it's tough to do it's because it changes constantly well this is in the old days nowadays i don't even know what's happening well there's so many different outlets now. now and there's so many different you know it's hard to even grasp what's even going on right now but back when yeah I, one thing i want to shift gears on uh, did you start playing dw drums before everclear or is that something you kind of jumped on while you're in that band I wish I was playing DW drums before Everclear. <laughs> I mean, DW drums were like, man, if I could only get a, a DW kit, that would just be amazing. Yeah, I know you know, feeling. <laughs> everybody was everybody who was anybody was playing them, and the guys that used to play the Yamaha Customs were now playing DWs, and I was just like, oh, but you know, DWs are or and are uh-huh. expensive. So I was just like, if I could only, I was playing a Pearl Export. You know, I was like, if I could only get a dw kit but there was no way i could cough up three grand or whatever at the time to do it well now they're like six or or seven grand for a four piece that might be that might be but i um so when everclear signed with tap and they gave us money to buy instruments and stuff that was a big day for me i went to a local <laughs> store the only store in portland that actually carried them because oh. no one could afford them wow um and 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 bought a dw kit and i tell you what at that time we were uh writing and rehearsing for sparkle and fade in art basement and it was for the first time ever i i could tune drums 
Yeah. Because the drums, the shells were so responsive. I could actually, you know, I heard, oh, you do each lug and try to tune them, in, you know, uniform and all. A Pearl export kit with pinhead stripes <laughs> or pin, it's pin pretty, stripes. It's pretty flat. That, that have been beat to shit. <laughs> They're, you're not going to respond to that, you know, so. Suddenly with that with DW shells, I could hear the wah, 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 something was out. And I was like, "Whoa, this is incredible!" You know, like yeah. this is a big deal. Yeah. And um, we all had new gear. You know, everybody bought a guitar that they liked or an amp that they liked, and so I had my DW. So that was a big deal. Now, did you play? I still a, have. To, I still have. Well, I still have those. Unfortunately, when I lived in San Francisco, um, I only had one drum set, so. Those were the drums, and the bass drum was stolen out of a, a rehearsal area. But I, I still do have the snare drum and the tom, the tom tom and the floor tom from it. But that was have DW kits, and uh, I was the only guy locally or anywhere that had DW kits uh, that I knew of. So other drummers wanted to come see them. You know, can we come over and look at your DW? Yeah. Oh wow, that's, that's a trippy thought. Was that the Silver Sparkle one? It was a Silver Sparkle. It was a. Uh, it was white marine. Oh, nice. Um, but it wasn't old white marine, although they faded to old for white marine. But the yellow, um, yeah. at the time, it was it was white marine, which was more of like a gray oh. marine color. But um, yeah, it was a big deal. So um, so then after that, then when you start to become famous or recognized, you know, DW wanted to. Uh, I wanted some bigger drums because the original kit. Um, so pretty small, pretty standard, and so um, DW made me the the Silver Sparkle one, the bigger drums and stuff. And that, Although I ultimately, I ultimately ended up using the smaller two, of the two tom options, I think. But, but yeah, and so, that, that had a sixteen eighteen floor tom right on it. I think that's what I remember seeing. Okay, this is where it gets nerdy. Um, <laughs> you got you're talking to a guy who used to read through every magazine, like. To memorize people's sizes and stuff. So it's not that yeah, <laughs> no, that, and I—that's awesome. I, that, but the, that I was never interested in that stuff. So people are like, "Is that a 14? I got—I don't know. I hit it and then boom. And I went, yeah, okay. It's smaller um, than that one. But I—I <laughs> I think actually, what if I think about it? Even though I only played a four-piece kit, they gave me five pieces. So one tom I think was the standard 14, and then the other tom was a 15, maybe. Yeah, so like was, and the and bass, and the bass drum. I mean, the and the well, the bass drum was twenty four. I know that because it seemed huge at the time. Uh-huh. And the, the the floor tom. I don't. I don't. I've never had eighteen inch floor tom, so it would have been sixteen. So I think it was fifteen and sixteen. Oh, nice. Toms on that, yeah, and a twenty four inch kick, which was pretty a pretty shallow kick, twenty four by maybe fourteen. Maybe it sounds like a fourteen. Is, is it the standard of sixteen? Uh, standards so, eighteen. Standards eighteen. So sixteen and fourteen are the other two, uh, some of the smaller sizes. I think it was a fourteen because it seemed abnormally shallow. Oh, that's pretty close to the Bono so, kind of sound. I guess so. Again, <laughs> but Bono was not my guy. So, um, but uh, I, yeah, are you still playing DW drums? Or you, you kind of because I noticed you were kind of going more into like Dimension style. Is that something you're kind of been, you went into later? Um, yeah, I still have the. I still well then later in the last couple of years of Everclear when I had even a bigger kit in terms of more stuff, um, I got a gold, a copper sparkle CW kit and I still have those. Oh, nice. But, um, and they're great kits. You know, it's funny that I ended up having almost three DW kits and actually they, I did an ad campaign for them for their Pacific drums. Have you ever heard of Pacific drums? I have about I, don't know. I have about six or seven Pacific kits upstairs. So yeah, I have. Oh, do you? Okay. I collect DW drums myself, so I have about five or six up there as well. Oh, okay. Wow. So, I, yeah. All right. So then, <laughs> this is this is your jam. Um, <laughs> but they gave me um they gave me a Pacific kit, the top of the line one. I don't know which one it was. It's probably um, the CX Maple at the time or the LX. I think so. Yeah. Whatever you said. <laughs> And and that was a great kit. As a matter of fact, um, you know, the, I did the ad campaign, and they were like, "We'd like to give you a kit." And who's going to say no? Like I was like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> but I ended up I ended up using that kit. Um, I think on on most of the Ula record, and, and I, ultimately I sold it to some guy. But um, 
but only because I just had too many kids. So I was just like, ah, I, yeah. to this day, I try to try to tell my wife, maybe I should sell one of those VWs just to get room. And she's like, you can't, those are your amateur kids. Yeah. That's the legacy for your boys. And I'm like, but my boys aren't interested in any of this, so they don't, they're not going to care one really? way or the other. Huh. Yeah. So, um, but I've held on to them. They're the DW kits. Um, but they were, they were mostly live. I didn't use the, the two sparkles for any studio. Well, that's not true. The very last episode record, I used the copper sparkle. But Now, um, now um, pointing to what you're doing, in, I want to talk about what you're doing currently, the Ulaz and the Stormlar- uh, Stormlarge. When, do you, when did that yeah. start about, or the Stormlarge stuff? Well, we should probably go in order. So there's probably the Ulaz. Which, I apologize. Which, no, 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 no. I mean, just because it's easier to, to tell. But uh, with the... When I left Everclear, um, I was so completely burnt out of the everything, of uh-huh. all of it, that um, I, I kind of walked away from for drums. Even like I just I didn't want to do drums anymore, um, and I around that time I started to write music, and and I said I'm just gonna maybe see if I can write songs. You know, I've always been in bands with guys that can write songs, so let me see if I can do it, but. Someone taught me how to play a bar chord on a guitar, and so I started to write songs. And my brother, uh, at the time, lived in Los Angeles near me, and his girlfriend at the time was a singer. And we just sort of started the ulas, and, and I, my main focus was to not do the drums. I just wanted to play guitar and record and write. And um, mm-hmm. that's that's what happened. That sort of saved me, and it made music fun again because I was really shatteredly completely shattered of, of well, the you, whole well you probably lived four or five lifetimes in that decade <laughs> compared to most people you know what i mean so i can understand yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and the way it ended and it was like i just i it just left this sour taste in my mouth so suddenly i was like i want to learn something else yeah and i started to play guitar and write songs and it was like a whole new experience of trying to figure out how amps work and where do i plug this chord into and what does this pedal do and you know, um, and I, and it's to this day, I don't know the names of the strings on the guitar. I don't know how to play chords properly, but someone just shot, showed me how to do a bar chord. And so I just use that nice. to write. Uh-huh. And, um, it made music fun for me again. It was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, ultimately I did play drums on the record because <laughs> I just, just couldn't find someone to do it. And all of my friends were like pro guys and no one was around. They were always on tour and, and and finally, it was just easier for me to just jump behind and the songs are not complicated. So it was just like, boom, 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 mm-hmm. done it. Um, but then we, you know, when we were touring and stuff, it, it made all of that fun again because it was about, we bought a van and we humped our own gear and we got our two drink tickets a night. And, <laughs> you know, and we played in, you know, got 20 bucks to play some bar in Albuquerque or whatever like it. But it made all of it fun again. Yeah. And it, and um that was really important for me. So from that point on, I've been writing and recording forever. And then the storm large gig came because I'd known her for quite a long time. She's, she's an amazing vocalist. And she was, had moved to Portland and I was still living in LA and she'd been on a TV show, uh, rock star TV show, supernova or something. Oh, you're talking about the, Uh, uh, the Tommy Lee thing. Yeah, she was one of the singers on that. Oh wow! Um, but she she's been singing for a long time. But and she she jumped on that show. She actually was like, I don't want to win it because I don't (laughs) want to be in Tommy Lee's Tommy Lee's band. I just want to you know use it as publicity. Yeah. And so when that ended, she um, she'd had a little mashup band in Portland that would play mashed up songs or whatever they call it. But anyway, she she was putting together, and that all fell apart. She was putting together a new band. She's like, I want you involved. And I was like, well, I don't even live in the same city as you. And, and she was like, that's all right. I'll just start flying you up for, you know, for gigs. And I go, well, what about rehearsals? And she goes, we're not going to rehearse. So don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and that was it. And then nine years I played with her, we've had like three actual rehearsals. Oh, where wow. We've actually tried to get together. It's mostly done live and, and sound checks. So, uh, um, but she saved me because the, the Ula saved me because I, I'd quit Everclear and, and was with the Ulaz and we recorded that record ourselves. We recorded it in my garage. I played almost all the records on, uh, 
on it. Uh, Ollie played some guitar and some sound effects and stuff. And my brother played bass and we did it all ourselves. Like, and that's what was fun about it. Yeah. That's quite an organic um, with, feel to it. Yeah. And then when, when, when that sort of ran its course, um, I was just sitting there going, wow, well now what do I do? Like I'm high school educated, um, no real life skills. And Storm came along and plucked me up. And, and the great thing about her is, you know, at the time we would play supper clubs and cabaret bars and, you know, kind of a weird mix of stuff. But nice. she she grew as well. So we play theaters and play with symphony orchestras now and, you know, play the Kennedy Center in D.C. And, you know. No, I'm blinking, um, I'm blinking out, but... Uh... <sighs> I'm going to get mad at myself later, but the clown that does the, the covers, you guys do stuff with him as well. Yeah. He's a friend of storm. So every once in a while, um, what was his name again? I apologize. Uh, puddles. puddles. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Puddles the clown. Um, he's a cabaret singer and he's been friends with storm. He sang one of the songs on her record that we did. And, um, if, if they can, if he's in town, the same town that he usually comes by or she goes by and, and they'll sing together or whatever. And so, and the two of them, they're both amazing singers, yes, both are. amazing show people. So, um, uh, it's fun to see what they come up with and how they play off each other and, and all of that. So now yeah. going forward not, with the obvious one, do you guys think you guys are going to go back out? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a broad question, but I mean, everyone's saying next summer, but you know, I mean, that's what everyone's kind of hoping for, but you guys have any plans? I think, no, I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that, that uh, the very last show that I played with her was actually here in Minneapolis. It was the last show of our tour. And we had, uh, we had sort of all agreed that we would just take like three months off or something. Uh-huh. And, um, <clears throat> We didn't realize, of course, that a month later COVID was going to hit and shut yes. everything down forever. <laughs> um, but uh, the thing about her is because we play sort of these concert halls and stuff, it, she usually books a year out. Uh-huh. So even if it was the vaccine made everybody great by April, I don't know what that would mean. It's not like, uh, you know, culturally, it's going to be a little off too, a little bit. So, you know what I mean? The hype won't really. Yeah. And then not only, not only that, but all these concert halls, I'm sure had to get rid of their people. So now you got to round up all through all everybody, you know, I don't, I don't know how it all comes together. I, if we could be doing it by summer next year, that would be, I think a best case scenario. But, um, right now there's nothing on the table and her management company books people like uh, Yo-Yo Ma and stuff and, you know, like major players and none of them are working. So I don't even know if the company exists anymore in terms of yeah, I have a, there's I, been I, no I, revenue generated. So I, have I, bad, I, I have a bad it, habit of asking that question. I'm sorry, Paul. So that, I guess it's just like the hope, like getting excited to go back out and see live music again. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's what it's all about, but I, I really don't know. Yeah. I don't, and not, and not only that, but it, it really is going to require something like a vaccine where you make it safe where you don't have to wonder if every flight you take or, or you know, whatever hotel you're staying in. I don't know, man. I just, it'll be, it's going to be really interesting to see at some point how this all fires up again, because uh-huh. it's literally just, been, you know, like a train stop, just everything. And, 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 even locally, like I have a solo record coming out and it's like, I put, the, put a band together. We rehearsed once and the next week they shut our state down. Oh, what was the name of that band? Well, it's my solo record. It's my name. Oh, okay. It's just a bunch of guys I knew here in town. But oh, okay. the thing is, is that, and, and the records at the vinyl pressing plant now, but it's like, how are you going to promote it? You can't play shows. And yeah. not only that, but just wait, because I don't know if the bars and clubs in this town are going to be there when this lifts because you know they all have mortgages and everything to pay yeah it's pretty rough um, i don't know what's going to be available to play out when next year if that happens by the summer or fall i mean i don't know what's going to be around crazy time yeah, totally crazy definitely. time and so, and so, so there... I, I have a, i have a solo record i'm like trying to promote to, to no promotion <laughs> like it's like you know there's nothing to do there's nothing to 
there's no places you can play and all that stuff. Well, is so. there is that a release anywhere that I can I can plug for you on, the, on your <clears> solo stuff? Oh yeah, well it's in the vinyl plant now. I'm pressing on vinyl; it'll be digital as well. I'm not doing CDs or anything, but um, yeah, it'll it'll right now they're saying it'd be out or they'll have it back to me by March. The other thing is COVID slowed all the processing stuff down or all the manufacturing down. Oh, nice. Oh, not nice, not so, nice, right. but <laughs> I mean, is there yeah. like, a, is there a website or we could check out Storm Large as well too? What would be the best place to, to push people? Um, well, Storm Large's site is, I think, stormlarge.com. Um, and mine, right now, it's just a sort of a coming soon page, but it's, uh, he's just the drummer com and when when i get well yeah i that's that's a moniker i've had for a while and it was it's actually been a, a bit of a motto for me because um that's pretty cool <laughs> I, well and i was well i was being at, i was in an interview with a band that show uh-huh. me nameless where the interview said well now we're going to ask greg a question and a certain lead singer was like why would you ask him the question he's just a drummer <laughs> And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, that's the new motto right there. And yeah. um, so that's that's my going to be. I named my record company that. That's releasing my record. Oh, I'm nice. also doing a document. I'm doing a documentary on a polka drummer right now. So if that documentary ever comes out, it'll be on the. Oh, it's really? just the drummer production. Oh, that's cool. So uh, yeah, so that's that's. Um, and actually, I'm getting shirts designed and everything with the logo on it. So anyway, it, but it all comes through heatsystemdrummer.com when it when it actually happens. I just it's nothing but a coming soon page right now because I'm just trying to set everything up so it's ready for the release of the record when it comes out. Well, I'll definitely help you spread the word. That's definitely idea, stuff I want to check out and listen to. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, I, I, hey, I'll send you an advanced copy. Uh, so you, <laughs> you can be one. I'll happily one pay the, for one. <laughs> Well, well, I, I'll let you buy the vinyl if you like the advance. But uh, the, the thing, the thing about the solo record for me was that um, it's actually the funny thing is it's actually about leaving. How do I say this? When I started to write songs again after the Ulah, uh-huh. um, and I I write songs weirdly. I I don't write them and then record them. I sort of write and record at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's just the way I do it, which is weird, I guess. But, um, yeah. So basically when I started to write a bunch of songs, not knowing my, we had moved to Omaha and my wife had a job. So kids were in school. So I had the house to myself mm-hmm. all day and I started to write songs. And once they started to get more into a finished state, I started to realize they, they basically told a story and the story was starts with me leaving a band a successful band uh-huh. and trying to come home and adjust to like normal life, like being the dad and being the father and, and you know, being normal again. Uh-huh. And so these songs, basically I realized I didn't try to write a, a, a um, concept record. I hate concept records. I think they're just pretentious, but the songs I realized if I put them in a certain order sort of told that story. And so, um, so it's weird. It's a super personal record to me. I don't expect anyone to like it or care or anything, but I figured I have to release it in order to move on to the next creative project. Uh-huh. And I had always wanted to put out a solo record and I'd always wanted to put out a solo record on vinyl. Nice. So, um, cause I always collect vinyl and stuff. So same here. that's, that's what was happening, but it took many years to do because I was calling in favors because I had no money on it at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it finally got, it finally got finished. So, uh, I'm really proud of it. I always said that the Ulavs was the thing I was most proud of, even more so than Everclear. And I don't know, right now I'm really proud of this record. So, All right. well, I'm <laughs> yeah, for, but, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's cool. It's, but it's just, it's not a record that has like radio hits or any of that kind of stuff on it. It's just a, a true story and what record has radio hits anymore and yeah, any so I, radio say, hits, I, don't really, I really can't even name a radio hit right now to be honest with you i'll tell you what can you name a radio station uh, there's just one because i you know i've listened to it for like the last 20 years but that's really about it and phoenix which one and uh, phoenix which one uh 98 kupd okay you you're on because it a- you're, obviously your songs are on it but like that's pretty much the only one here that i ever kind of tap into because i have local friends that get on it once in a while 
Yeah, well, that's the thing is that that's all gone away. Like the idea, the whole reason why there were labels, you know, they were basically loan sharks. But the one thing that they gave you was access to radio stations and radio stations gave your music access to people. And that's different now. I, you know, anybody can access your stuff anywhere now. Yeah, and I, I'm but, a, um, like we were talking about earlier, YouTube is kind of where I go check out bands and, you know, it links me to this and that. So that's usually kind of yeah. where everyone kind of falls now. Spotify, it's a big one. Right. But there's none of the, um, the trade-off is you can have access to anything. Yeah. The, the, the trade-off to that for the artist is that none of those things are monetized. So you can't make enough money off of those things to live. Yeah. Um, as I understand it, and I'm the old fogey, you know, that's like, get off my lawn. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know. I, I think, I think it's done damage to our attention spans too, because it makes everything so like accessible and fast. That's the way I see it. Cause yeah. And that, I see destructive, but yeah, good at the same time, just like you're saying. So there's there's highs, yeah. and lows, highs and lows to it. Oh, I mean, one of the greatest tools for me is like the, the, the what is it, Apple Music or whatever, where I can access anything, you know, immediately. But um, one of the things, I don't know, one of the reasons why I like vinyl is that you have to commit at least 22 minutes to it. You know what I mean? Like, and so you, you have to sit down. I mean, now you don't, you can jump up if you want, but you if I'm going to listen to vinyl, I'm going to actually put it on and lay on the couch and look at the liner notes. And I, and I'm not even going to commit to 44 <laughs> minutes of both sides. So I'm just 22 minutes is hard enough to commit to. Yeah. But what I, what I find is whatever I listen to vinyl, um, I tend to think about it like throughout the day or the next day or whatever. Whereas if I just, music that i have on in the car and it may be one of my favorite bands you know i don't think about it it's just there but vinyl forces your like you just said your attention span and so i do like to listen to that but because of that i don't have a lot of time to do that it's very rare that i actually get to do that but um Uh you know i i don't know and and being i'm talking to new people that just start railing off new people young kids the rail off their favorite artists and stuff. That's great. But I, I, I don't listen to a lot of music considering that I consider myself a musician. There's just a handful of bands um, that inspire me. And, and a lot of those bands are old. They're not older, but they're not necessarily the newest band now. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Greg, I think we should have you on after uh, you release your solo album. That'd be great to have you on again. Hey, I would love to. That'd, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be, that would be actually quite thrilling and, and weird at the same time but yeah <laughs> so i just want to say thanks for coming on today I, I mean um i know it was a little bit of a short notice you have some stuff to do but yeah it's really cool it's really cool to talk to someone i looked up to years ago and still now but thank you very much hey i appreciate it but let me tell you one thing because you said you were used to air drum to, to the tin um just make sure you got you're limbering up and you got good form <laughs> Plenty because of water. I, I had i had a, i had a rotator cuff problem earlier this year and oh really and, and the the physical therapist was like it didn't require surgery or anything but they were like well what do you you know what do you lift things and i'm like no <laughs> and they're like do you do what like, no what, what do you think it could be and i was like 20 years of playing heavy, hard drums. And they're like, yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. That's and pretty funny. I, I've been, I've been really lucky too, because, um, um, I, I was self-taught, but uh, sorry, we're probably going way too long. I was no, that's fine. No, that's fine. On, 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 on drum set, but I did study, um, in high school. I happened to have one of the best percussion teachers in the world. Um, and he at least taught me, which I promptly forgot everything he taught me. except the one thing he did <laughs> I, was, uh, I was um, uh, how how to hold a stick and how to move your wrist and how to how to have the stick react and 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 not be tight and 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 I think um, you know I've played thousands of shows and been around the world and pounded on drums and the only injury I've ever had was this rotator cuff that that developed twenty years later, huh. um, twenty five years later. I never had problems with my hands. Never had problems and and. I was ne- I never warmed up before shows. Like I never like guys. I know guys that you know have the practice pads and stuff backstage, and that 
I never, I just, as a matter of fact, my drum tech knew not to wake me up <laughs> until 30 seconds before we were on stage. Oh, wow. so, um, and you had your cymbals, you had your cymbals pretty high too. So that probably didn't help your shoulders as well. Pretty high, except that when I look at bands now, they seem even way higher than mine. Um, I tried to keep everything sort of in an impact zone. Uh-huh. Um, well, even Buddy Rich would say, don't ever have them higher than your shoulders. That was always kind of my rule. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't I don't know what yeah you know, I don't know I just because I have known guys that have required hand surgeries and 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 wrist surgeries and and whatever shoulder surgeries uh-huh. I was just really really lucky that that um that never happened until you know pretty recently but um but and hearing loss oh yeah I have that too oh, yeah. but I'm fifty so I'm expected to have that. Oh, I'm, already, I'm, old, so. I'm already wearing hearing aids at 33. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and the way the weird thing is, is that I've it's actually gotten worse just in the last month. Yeah. Like it just it's not even and and I hardly play drums anymore now. Like I don't I hardly play at all. Um, and and recordings I do you know I play drums on, but they're not they're not they're pretty. My wife's always like, you play the most boring drums on your record. And I was like, yeah. That's just, I don't know. That's not the time to be. My songs don't require a, hey, look at me. I'm doing a tratum, a ratum, a flatum. Like, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. That doesn't, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I've never been fired from a gig, but I've never played more than two, four, and six, eight. Like, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's basic. It's, you know, you can be flat. And, and I was never interested in the kind of music that was required really choppy flashy drums I, I was just more always into the song so mm-hmm. 99.9 percent of the time it was going to be four four or six eight and even you know if we got real real <laughs> jazzy it would be six eight but i, you know, I, I, no, I don't think i don't think you're giving yourself enough credit you're great at what you do so <laughs> well i appreciate that but i i i was you know every song that i wrote was going to be a four four time actually the only ever clear waltz is a song i wrote and that's the only other song in the band's repertoire that yeah, I didn't write, and that's the honeymoon song, and that's a wall. Oh, that's really? Yeah. So, I'll go through and listen to that again. Yeah, it was it's a ukulele song. It's not a very clear sounding song at all, but and and it was just a little ditty I wrote for my wife that Art heard one day and was like, "Hey, we should put that on the next record." So I was like, "Sure," but it's the only <laughs> clear <Everclear> wall. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I don't play I don't play very complicated drums, and and. And because of that, I like to uh, vary the drums up, play more vintage type stuff, just because they sound weird and cool. And, and um, because I'm not slamming them hard, I don't. You know, if I was if I was to go if, if I was to go out and do like a heavy rock thing now, which boy, I don't even know if I could physically do that. But uh, <laughs> I would I would dust off the the DWs and take them out. But most of the time, I'm at home. I've got funky drums and weird things happening that I like in my old days. I like things to be not so clean and a little bit dirtier and more buzz and vibrations and stuff. So the dynamics pretty much overall. Yeah. I just think, I don't know. I don't know if it's an age thing. It's a simple thing to say. I just figure at a certain point you, um, for me anyway, I just, none, none of it matters anymore. And, you know, to get the most pristine drum sound with 18 mics, like, nah, I only have four mics on my kit. So that's just, that's good enough for me. Your ego is not riding on it as much anymore as what you're saying. Well, you know, the thing is, is that uh, with radio and MTV, Uh there was a level, you know, you you couldn't get a video on MTV unless it was a million dollar video cost wise, just because of the way it had to look. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you couldn't get a song on radio unless it sounded a certain way. So you couldn't, you couldn't say, well, I'm just going to do this and record my drum set with one mic. It wasn't going to fly. K-Rock wasn't going to play it. Yeah. Um, n- not because of your one drum mic. I've never had someone in my entire history come up and go, hey, that was a pretty good show, but you know, your tom-tom sounded a little funky. Like, no one, <laughs> no one, no one has ever said that. Yeah. yeah. It's not about that. It's about, um, you know, projecting and the experience of it. And if you listen to Everclear live shows, <laughs> board tapes or any live show, you know, we were pretty horrible, but the people that were, the people that were there from a musicmanship standpoint, 
But the people that were there remember it because they're hearing it blasted out through these speakers. And it was the night that they broke up with their girlfriend or met their girlfriend. or Which is bombastic sounds, you know, just coming at them. Yeah. Listen, volume hides a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) So the symbols. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why when you listen to board tapes or something, it's always like, oh, my God, that's horrible. But. Um, they didn't, they're not seeing that Craig is jumping six feet off his bass amp or, you know, the arts running around the stage or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I, I, it's not that important to me. Sound is not that important to me, which allows me to, to create and write my own stuff because I am not going to sit there for three days and try to get a snare sound. I'm oh, not yeah. going to do it. I know that punishment. I know that, I know that pain and that, I'm not, oh, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. And, and, I have four mics on my drum kit now. That's one more mic than any Little Richard song from the 50s had. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, I was like, come on. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But because I don't have to write, if I was trying to write a song for Billie Eilish or something, you, then you have to have it to a certain degree. And it all has to be digital and it all has to be. Yeah, you're just sampling like, at that point. I mean, yeah, it has to be so squeaky clean. Your teeth hurt. Um, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not that guy. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of guys that do that. I'm just creating it for me. Music has become more art. It's art. Yes. Like I'm like, doing a documentary. It's the same thing to me. I'm, I've, I've started to paint. That's the same thing to me. Playing guitar is the same thing to me. Playing drums is the same thing to me. It's all it's about the creative spirit. And, um, and if you, the, the great freedom in, is in realizing that you can't compete on a commercial level, uh-huh. um, and and what does that even mean anymore nowadays? But I, I honestly don't know. Once, <laughs> yeah, once once you but once you give that up, it's really freeing to be just creative. Yeah, and you can do anything you want. And that's and, and if, if people like it, people like it. That's kind of the, the you know number show now. So that's kind of the cool thing about it. Oh yeah, the minute I mean I'm I'm pressing my record on vinyl, and people are like, "Well, how many do you think you're selling?" I was like, "I have no idea. I'm pressing 300." And I have a feeling I'll probably have 15 boxes of vinyl in my basement for the rest of my life. I just don't <laughs> think that anybody, I don't think anybody's going to buy it. But the thing is, is that once you give up that, when you give up that, um, that concern of commerciality, uh-huh. it's really liberating. And I think people can do very interesting stuff, but you got to give up the idea that you'll ever make any money at it. And if you can break even somehow, that's more successful than doing it in the hole but if you're a true creative person you're going to keep being creative no matter what yeah you got to stop playing the machine man (laughs) yeah exactly and that i think that i'm actually really excited i'm i'm 50 right now and i'm actually really excited by all this stuff that i'm doing that literally it brings me no money i mean there's no money at all it costs me money but as an artist it's very freeing and liberating and exciting because i'm really excited by what i do now and um, it's not necessarily on the drums. As a matter of fact, I tried to play drums the other day, and I was like, holy, wow, you <laughs> you really slipped. Like, I was trying to do basic stuff, and I was like, whoa, okay. And it made me realize I don't play the drums very much. Yeah. And um, the drums are like a, an exercise. It, it just, it's muscle memory, and if muscle's tired, it's not going to go right away. Yeah, but I'm but I'm also not interested in trying to be the best drummer I can be anymore. I'm I'm moved on to other interests. Oh, I I sorry. See, I told you I talk too much. This thing's going on way too much. <laughs> Cut all fine. this out if you want. No, but uh, I, just this just this summer I took up fly fishing, and I'm obsessed with fly fishing now. Like, oh, it's nice. Like, yeah, it's nothing to do with music, but I'm like, that's actually I'm spending more time doing that right now than I am playing drums for sure. Nice. Well, like I said, we're gonna have you on the show after you get your stuff released, and that way I can help you push it and show it to the you know more people for you. That if you that would be amazing. All right, but uh, right now check out uh, Greg's band Storm Large, and you said you guys are on YouTube and you have a website as well, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just the drummer. Storm Large is the person. It's her. It's her thing. But oh, I've been gotcha. with her for nine. Gotcha. Nine years. So that's actually her name. Storm, oh, gotcha. Storm Large. I, I messed up that. Okay. So yeah. Check yeah. Out, check yeah. Out. So I'm. I'm her. I'm. I'm her drummer. It's. It's her. It's her thing. But she treats us all like family. So. Nice. Um. It's the way to go. But uh. Yeah. StormLarge.com. But I mean, I don't even know what she's promoting or doing anything because there's nothing to, to be had. But if you actually, I'll tell you what. If 
going to see what, what I do with her now, and you can see how the jig is perfect for a man in his old age. Um, search uh, YouTube Storm Large uh, Under My Skin. Okay. Um, which is an old classic song that, that she has rewritten and changed. And it's, it's a good, it's a professionally recorded version. So a lot of times if you search her name, it's all like cell phone footage that's all terrible. <laughs> but um, that, that one's really good. Storm Large Under My Skin, and you can see how different what I do now with her is from the days of bashing away on 24-inch 20, bass drums and stuff. So, <laughs> all right. Actually, to me now, I actually collect old bass drums, and actually 24-inch now to me is very small. Yeah, I have a, I have a bunch of... I have a couple 26s out there that are a whole different world when you hit them. Yeah, I collect now big old bass drums, uh, like 28s, like big old parade drums if they have graphics mm-hmm. and stuff on them. I collect those, but I also, I'm a collector that likes to use the things I collect. I don't just collect them <laughs> to, uh, if they, you know, if they don't work or something, that's not as interesting to me. Yeah. So I have a bunch of like 28s with really great graphics and stuff. So it's right. another passion. I got a lot of passion. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch base on that stuff next time. But once again, thanks, Greg. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Right. And you guys have a good one. And please check out the show and share it with your friends. Let me tell you guys about the stuff called Groove Juice. The stuff is amazing. I've been using it since honestly I can remember. It's kept my drums and cymbals looking pristine for shows or just simply practicing at home. Most drummers and some of the great drum techs around the world use this stuff and proudly endorse it. Please reach out to your local retailer or order online with Groove Juice.